You know, there are certain passages in the Bible that I believe are extremely important, but many of us are uncomfortable reading them. We find ourselves sometimes wondering exactly what this means in the life of a believer, and our text today really isn't any different. Our text is found in Matthew 18. Uh, in this passage, Jesus is answering questions asked by the disciples. Uh, okay. I won't ask any more questions. He's asking, he's answering questions, you know, and all these questions. You ever have the questions that you have for God? You know, the questions that you want to know, the questions that are really pressing you. And so far, he's just answered the question about who is the greatest in the kingdom by pointing the disciples to his concern for the small, defenseless child. And then in our text this morning, Peter asks a question at the beginning. It's the parable of the unmerciful slave. And there in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21, we have our text. And it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the slave fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that slave had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him and started choking him and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported there to their master everything that had happened. And then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So my heavenly father will also do to, it to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. We thank and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would Take this time this morning and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the vessel and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you. We praise you. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said. You know, Peter is correct in asking about forgiveness, but he asks in the wrong way. When Peter asks about forgiveness, he's not asking how we are to forgive our brother. Peter asks, how long do I have to forgive my brother? How many times? Instead of how we're to forgive, he's concerned with the limits of forgiveness. So Peter says, you know, God, Jesus, seven times? Now, to Peter, seven times probably seem really generous, right? I mean, this is the individual he's talking about who continually fails at the same point. The individual who always does the same thing to you over and over and over again, and every time comes back to you and says, I'm sorry, and, and at some point you start going, really? 
So two times is a lot when someone keeps doing that. So what do we say in our, in our culture, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me is what we say. And so here, Peter's thinking along the same lines. Jesus, how long? How long do I have to say, yes, I'll forgive you? How long do I keep giving forgiveness? Is it seven times? And Peter's probably thinking seven must be great. That's the number of completion in Jewish thought. I've forgiven them completely if I've forgiven them seven times and then I'm done because I can't do it anymore. Seven's enough, right, Jesus? Seven, seven's what you want us to do. But Jesus' answer is a little vague here. So it's not as much as seven, but 77. Or either seven times 70 or 77. The text is a little vague and we're not really sure which one. But what does that mean? Either way, whether it's 70 or 77 or 70 times 7, it doesn't matter because a Jew, good Jewish person would know what Jesus is doing here. Back in Genesis chapter 4, there is a man by the name of Lamech. He was Cain's great, great, great grandson. And he's quite a character. He's the first in uh, Scripture to have two wives. And he seems to thumb his nose at, at the things that that God is telling him to do rather than learning. And in verses 23 through 24, Lamech pronounces a law into existence. There he says to his wives, Anna and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, pay attention to my words, for I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then for Lamech it will be 77 times. Here, Lamech has pronounced into existence the law of vengeance. If Cain is avenged seven times, I will be avenged 77 times. What this law actually states is retribution in excess. He has killed a man for hitting him. He is just, he, he is done. You hit me, I'm going to take you out. If you hit me, I will pummel you. I'm going to, you make me bleed, I'm going to cut off your arm. This is the law of revenge. This is the law that says, that's been passed on. It's part of the reason why men were so horrible at the time the flood got here. People begin living by this. In this law, revenge is the most important thing in a conflict. If you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you worse. Sound familiar? Sometimes, if you listen to some parts of our culture, that might be the American way, right? If you hit me, I'm going to hit you worse. I remember being told by dad, and I'm trying not to be guilty of this myself, but I was always told, don't you ever start a fight, but you better finish it. Huh. But then I read scripture. <laughs> and it's all. Because here, that was Lamech's law. That's what he laid down. It's the law that people live by. It's the law that Moses stood against several times in scripture. In Exodus and Leviticus, he put together the law of God there that God had given him that said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Not, not a head for an eye. Not a finger for a tooth. Justice or revenge is only to be given to the extent you were offended. That was the law of Moses. But the law of Moses didn't go far enough for Jesus. Because Jesus comes back and what he's done is turn Lamech's law of vengeance on its head. Rather than avenge 77 times, you forgive 77 times. Neither of these is truly about to count. To count the forgiveness is misses the point of what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, forgive and keep on forgiving. It's not about limits. It's about unlimited forgiveness. Basically, forgiveness is the most important thing in conflict. This is the most important thing. 
We have to go into conflict or be a part of conflict, not thinking, how can I win? Not thinking, how can I beat this? Not thinking, how can I do this? But we go into conflict thinking forgiveness and reconciliation must be the point. We must try to do the things that God has called us to do. And to explain, he tells the parable. There are some contrasts here between our words that are, that are given. The word in Greek here that is used for servant is doulos. And doulos does not mean servant. Doulos means slave. There is a difference between a servant and a slave. There are two types of slave allowed in Hebrew laws. An Israelite who is only a slave to pay a debt and has to go free after six years. And there's a Gentile slave which is a piece of property. Now, from inference to this, there are too many rules that go along with this about selling Hebrew slaves. So the king couldn't sell a Hebrew slave according to God's law. So we might infer this is a story about Gentile slaves. But whichever it is, they're still slaves. Slaves are not employees. Slaves are property. They don't get paid. There's no money coming in. They get provisions for living. They have no way to pay any money back. The first point Jesus makes in this parable is that we have a debt we cannot repay. We have a debt that we cannot repay. As a slave, we can't repay the debt. Whenever this, this king calls this first slave in, man, this is a debt he can't repay. When Jesus took our suffering, he made a payment we can never pay back, even if we try. If we did everything we could perfectly in our lives for the rest of our life, we could never repay back the debt that we have. Just as it was ludicrous to think these slaves could pay money back, it's ridiculous to think we can ever pay back our debt. No matter the size of our personal debt, we can't pay it back. You, you could have come out of a lifestyle that was the hardest lifestyle anybody's ever described. You know, we love to go to revivals in, in churches and hear these testimonies of these people who, they used to be in, in the gutter. They were just the worst people in the world. And they were violent. And, and God pulled them out and made them clean. And those are such powerful testimonies. And then you have the other side of that. That sometimes we go, oh. And when we're afraid my testimony is not enough. Because I was in the church nine months before I was born. But sometimes those testimonies to me are more powerful than the ones from the people who came from the gutter. Because God protected them all along the way. But no matter your personal debt, no matter what your testimony is or where you were, you can't pay it back. Just as these two slaves had no way to pay back their debt, we can't do that either. Now, but let's talk about the ridiculousness of this debt. Program. There are two debts here. Two measures. There are the talent and the denarius. Denarii. Now, a denarius was a small coin about the size of a dime. And it was a day's wage for a common worker. That's, that's, how, they, that's how they measured a day's wage. Now, a talent wasn't a coin. It was a weight between 65 and 95 pounds. One talent was about 6,000 denarii, or 6,000 days of work. 6,000 days divided by 365 is 16 and a half years for one talent of work. The first slave owed 10,000 talents. That's 60 
million denarii. That's 60 million days of work. That's 164,000 years, give or take a little bit. The second slave owed 100 denarii, which was 100 days of work. Now, that, that alone is ridiculous. But think about that in today's terms. If one denarius is one day's wage, and the minimum wage is $7.25 an hour, and a day is eight hours of work, $7.25 times eight is $58 a day. So the second slave owed his fellow slave $5,800. That's what he owed. $6,000. Let's round it up. Owed him $6,000. That's what he owed. He himself owed the king 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents times 6,000 denarii is 60 billion. So 60 billion times $58. The first slave owed the king 3 billion. $480 million. Three and a half billion dollars. So the first slave was owed 600,000 times more than the second, and his debt was forgiven. Think about that. He walked into the king, and the king's going, dude, you owe me three billion dollars. And the slave still says, give me some time, I'll pay it back. Really? I mean, up until a few years ago, no one could pay off $3 billion. And so he says, just give me some time. He begs for mercy. The king gave him grace. If the king would have just given him mercy, he would have said, sure, you have more time to pay. I don't know what you do to pay back $3 billion, but go ahead and try. But the king didn't do that. The king said, you know what? I'll forgive your debt. I'll make it all go away. Can you imagine that? Think of your biggest debt right now, your biggest monetary debt. And somebody walked up and said to you, you know what, I'll just, I'll just forgive it. It's gone. Death work. I'm thinking nobody in this room has a $3 billion debt. I would hope not. <laughs> but, you know, your biggest debt, that's what happens. When he faced the king, he still thought he was going to pay it. Just give me a little time. I don't know what he had up his sleeve or what he thought he was going to do. But then you get a little hint of what he thought he was going to do. Because he walks outside and he sees the second slave who owed him $6,000. And he doesn't even show mercy. He saw a fellow slave who owed less than a third of a year's worth of wages and became so enraged he began to choke him. Demanded his money. Pay me what you owe. The guy drops to the ground and says some very familiar words. Please just give me some time and I'll pay it. And the first slave says, no. Instead he locked him up in prison until he could pay the debt. Here's the second point of this parable. Unforgiveness keeps you from the blessings of God. Prisons of the Roman world weren't like our prisons today. You didn't get paid for every day you spent inside. There wasn't a living allowance. There were no things that went on like that. Here, when you were put in prison, you were there as a slave for life. 
Now, maybe the first guy could have gotten his money by forcing the second guy to be sold, but for the most part, if he's in prison, there's no way he can raise the money to pay you back. So you've taken the one person who can give you that money back and done away with it. It's never going to happen. You're never going to get what's coming to you. That's what happens when we don't forgive people. That's what Jesus is saying. Forgiveness is all or nothing. If you lock a person in a prison of unforgiveness, you can never get your reward. If you hold on to hurt and hatred and all those things, you're never going to get anywhere. Unforgiveness and hatred is just letting someone else live rent free inside your head. Because you just walk around all the time thinking about how hard that is and how much you let it go. I don't want to give any of that, any of the space away inside my brain. I mean, if I start giving that stuff away, I'm in trouble. We have to learn to let things go because Jesus says we're not going to get the blessing. If you can't forgive, he says you can't even be forgiven. Now, that's what's crazy. He says in the end you'll hurt yourself. Living with unforgiveness interrupts your relationship with God. When you have unresolved issues with your brother, your communication with God is impeded. Like I talked about with the kids today. Just prior to this parable, Jesus discusses reconciliation. It's a huge part of his teaching overall. And he says there in Matthew 5 that if you're offering your gift and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go make amends and then come back and offer your gift. You want to make sure you're right. There, I uh, had some really hard times with my grandma after I was an adult. Um, just, just some things that she did to me and my sister, our, our family, when my dad had the wreck, just began to build inside me. And for a couple of years, I couldn't let it go. For a couple of years, it was always there. It was always in the back of my head. It was always something that was eating in me. Until God brought me to the point where I realized that I was just allowing that to envelop me. To take me away from His blessings. I mean, even in the Lord's Prayer, what does it say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the Baptist way of saying it. like debt, I guess. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's a very scary prayer to think about. Because the meaning there isn't, well, forgive us as in the same time. It's forgive us in the way we forgive those around us. So, so if I don't forgive that person in the right way, I'm asking God to forgive me in the way that I forgave them. That's... See, unforgiveness is a cancer that eats away at your soul. When Jesus talks about this, he's looking at Peter because he knows Peter. He knows all the things Peter said. He knows all the things Peter's going to say. He knows everything that's going on and, and he understands what's, what's fixing to happen. And so he knows that if Peter doesn't learn how to let this stuff go, it's going to eat at him. And what's he need Peter to do? He needs Peter to be ready for the day of Pentecost. He needs Peter to be ready to stand up and preach to those people who are going to kill the one that he loves. 
There's nothing more important. And he goes back because he doesn't forgive the other guy. And all the other slaves run and tell the king, man, you forgave him $3 billion. And he wouldn't get that guy a chance to pay off 6000 And the king calls him back and he throws him into prison. Now look at this, because maybe the most important point of the day. Our lives must match the relationship that we proclaim. The first slave walked out of that meeting with the king knowing that his debt was forgiven. He walked out knowing that, man, he was free. Can you imagine that freedom? You ever had a car payment and you finally pay it off? breaks down the next day, but still. Man, if it's gone, if there's a weight lifted off your shoulders, this guy just had his entire life given back to him. And he walks outside and instead of going, yes, thank you, thank you, he sees a guy and says, give me my money. Woo! His life wasn't showing that he had been forgiven. And because of that, the king said, well, basically, your debt's not forgiven. That there are a lot of people who walk an aisle, who say a prayer, who do all of these things that we tell them to do, and they walk away thinking, man, I'm free, I'm ready, but they never have their life match up with what they proclaimed on that day. There are a lot of people who have come down an aisle and said a prayer and walked away knowing their sins are forgiven, yet they never made a decision to follow Jesus. There are people all over the nation, all over the world, who sit in churches every Sunday, Saturday if you're, if you're Seventh-day Adventist, whenever it is you sit in church, you sit there every time and don't know Jesus. You can sit in church your entire life and it doesn't make you a Christian. I can sit in my garage all day long and it doesn't make me a car. We have to have a life that matches what we proclaim. Because if we don't, we have to examine our life. What Jesus is saying here is that having a heart of unforgiveness makes you unforgivable. This isn't saying that it's possible to lose your salvation. It's saying you never had it. It was never yours. Because you never understood. It's impossible to understand the gift that you've been given and not give that gift to someone else. It's impossible to be a follower of the king and not live how the king has commanded us to live. Now let me be clear. I'm not saying that if you've ever had a feeling of unforgiveness against someone, you're not saved. It's not what we're saying. Unforgiveness cannot be a way of life. Unforgiveness cannot rule you. It can't last forever. Because let's be honest, we're human. And all the baggage that that entails. So there's going to be stuff that we're going to hold on to. And we're going to hurt for a little while. We've got to take it to Jesus. Like we talked about with the headphones a while ago, we've got to take it to Jesus and lay it before Him and say, you know what? It's not mine anymore. I'm not going to hold on to it anymore. I'm going to let it go. Let's put it another way. You cannot be a friend of unforgiveness and a follower of Jesus. How do I know this? That's what he says in verse 35, right? He says, 
This is what my Father will do to each of you if you don't forgive your brother from the heart. Who's he talking to? His disciples. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to followers of him. He's talking to those people who profess Jesus. What Jesus is doing is saying we need to examine our actions and ensure that they align with the will of God. If you're forgiven, you should forgive. There's no reason to hold a grudge. Let's say it one last way. In Luke 7, Jesus is eating with some Pharisees and a woman comes in and washes his feet and anoints him with perfume. We know that story, right? And we're sitting there and the disciples and the people are going to get indignant. Why would she do this? She's a sinner. Doesn't, doesn't he know what kind of woman that is? And then one of the disciples is like, man, this money could have been spent on bread for the poor. And Jesus looks at him and he says, a story. There's a creditor. Two people who owe debt to him. One 500 denarii and one 50. And he forgives them both. Who loves them more? The woman with the greater debt. What debt can someone owe you? What hurt could they have perpetrated? In what way could someone have offended you that is greater than the debt that Jesus paid off in your name, Calvary? There ain't nothing. They could have done nothing to you that's greater than that debt because Jesus paid it all. He gave it. Willingly, on the cross, he said, here I am, Daddy, take my life for theirs. Take my blood for theirs. We don't forgive because we're commanded to. We forgive because we're forgiven. That's why we forgive. The Israelites have been commanded to forgive for thousands of years in the law. They've been commanded to do that. Forgive. They've been commanded to have the year of Jubilee that they never followed, where they gave up everything and said, go on your way and release all the slaves and forgave all the debts. They've been commanded to do this. What Jesus is saying in this parable is the desire to forgive should be evident in the life of those whom he has forgiven. And if that desire doesn't exist, we have to examine ourselves and ask if we truly follow him. You know, our text this morning gives us three things we have to understand. We can't have debt, we can't repay. Unforgiveness keeps us from the blessings of God, and our lives must match the relationship we proclaim. Because really, truly, just because you profess Jesus doesn't mean you possess Jesus. You can write that one back. Woo! Just because you profess him doesn't mean you possess him. There are lots of people out there with bumper stickers and t-shirts and everything else who do not live a life that shows that they know Jesus. The parable is about the importance of forgiveness in the life of a believer. And according to Jesus in this passage, true forgiveness is limitless. It doesn't matter. It's hard. That's hard to deal with. He also gives the warning that if we don't forgive, maybe we're not forgiven. That's even harder to This has been a hard year. Probably the hardest that anybody I know has lived through. I have seen more broken relationships this past year over stupid stuff than ever in my life. Jesus says the word of forgiveness and keep on forgiving. It's hard. 
It takes courage. I remember back, way back, when I was dating. That's hard, right? Well, I don't know. It's like, okay. I'm not very politically correct. So, I never had women ask me out. I asked the women out, right? Okay. The hard part is if someone says no, or you break up with someone, you don't want to ask somebody else for a while because that takes courage to do again, right? It takes courage to get up and say, let me do this one more time. That's the same thing with forgiveness, guys. Because when somebody hurts us and we forgive them and they hurt us again, it's hard to say, I'm going to forgive you again. It's hard to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this go. Because we're afraid it's going to happen again. Well, guess what? It may happen again. That's what God does to us, right? We go to God and we say, God, I failed you again. I can't believe I blank. God says, it's forgotten. Even though he knows we're probably going to do the same thing again next week. God's calling us to be like him. Maybe this morning you've been struggling with forgiveness, with forgiving someone, with forgiving something, some entity, some organization, anything. Now's the time. Now's the time to say, Jesus, I'm giving it to you because I'm not going to carry it anymore. I'm not going to hold on to this. It is not meant for me to carry. Maybe this morning you want to just pray. The altar's open. I'll, I'll pray with you. Maybe you're starting to missions. Or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church of membership. But maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never taken that step to say, I am His. I want to know Jesus. I want to, I want to follow Him no matter how hard it may be. Now's the time. We're not promised tomorrow. We're promised right now. Just walk the outside for the trial. I want to know Jesus. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Would you pray? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings.